Yeah, what do you need? Okay, um, my foot fell asleep. Pardon? My foot fell asleep. Yeah. From a medical perspective, is it better to rub it or just to ride it out, keep it still? I, I, think, I think maybe like cutting it off. Bye. Wait, no. Hello? Jackie? I can't walk and I can hear the ice cream truck. I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and this is Heavyweight. Today's episode, Toby. Right after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. In 2012... Toby's father died suddenly of a heart attack. Shortly after the funeral, Toby cleaned out his house. You know, you just find stuff, find relics of, of a life. Like, oh, hey, here's this, you know, pocket watch that's labeled 1912. Whose would this have been, you know? Toby and his dad, Doug, weren't especially close. So going through his stuff felt oddly intimate. It's funny, I, I didn't know my dad ever smoked weed, but I found weed. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. It was really old, I think. Toby says there were thousands of decisions to make. What to donate, what to try and sell at an estate sale, and what to keep. Pocket watch, keep. Old weed, discard. It was while sorting through Doug's old suit jackets and books that Toby found a box. A box containing 21 audio cassette tapes. Toby read through the labels. They had titles like Phone Conversation, Terry, 9.30 p.m., Terry, March 3rd, 1987, Phone Conversation, and Terry's Call. Terry was Toby's mom. She and his dad divorced when Toby was four. And judging by the dates on the labels, the tapes were recorded around the time of their split. Why did these tapes even exist? Toby wasn't sure. He put the tapes in the keep pile. As Toby understands it, his parents were never an obvious match. Doug was the button-down type, and Terry had a wild hair. They got married young, and seven years into their marriage, Terry surprised Doug 
by picking up all her stuff one day and moving out. From there, Terry married a biker dude named Randy and spiraled into years of wild living and hard drinking. Toby's memory of those years is like a series of snapshots, hugging his mom and knowing, even at 12, to smell her for alcohol. The time his friend told him he couldn't sleep over at his house because, quote, my mom doesn't like your mom. And the night, Terry took him and his little sister Heidi to a bar and kept drinking and drinking. My mom was like unable to stand up essentially. And uh, me being seven or eight, knowing like, oh, you're not supposed to drink and drive and asking a random dude at the bar like, hey, can, can you drive us home? I remember being confused because I had asked the question and then my mom still drove us home. My sister was, I think, old enough to know something wasn't, wasn't right. She was probably kindergarten. In the back seat, Heidi reached out for Toby's hand. And uh, we held hands while she was driving home. Eventually, Toby and Heidi went to live with their dad, Doug. Things were a lot more emotionally stable there, but Doug wasn't exactly warm and fuzzy. Toby can't remember a single time he ever told Toby he loved him. That just wasn't part of our, that wasn't part of our vernacular. You never heard, I love you. Not that I remember. Although the divorce's aftermath had a profound impact on Toby, for the most part, he tries to avoid thinking about it. He tells me he tends to shut out heavy emotions. In fact, this tendency came up just the other day when Lauren, his wife of 15 years, brought up the box of tapes. But then I saw something very quickly change the subject, and she's Mm -hmm. like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, you, anytime it starts to get deep, you immediately find a bright, shiny object to change the subject. He said, hey, look at that silver car over there. That's been parked there for a while. This is Lauren. He's pretty avoidant of getting to those, like, raw, vulnerable parts. 21 cassette tapes from the exact period of your life that you've spent so long avoiding might really bring out those raw, vulnerable parts. Which is why, almost 10 years after taking them home, the tapes remain unplayed, hidden away in a credenza. Maybe there's nothing even on the tapes. Maybe they've been recorded over or warped with time. But maybe they form an unlikely door to Toby's past, to his childhood and his parents' relationship. There's, there's so much that I don't know. Yeah. My dad's gone, my mom's gone. I don't have any way to, to find out what was actually happening in my life. This is the last piece of them that, like, it'd be new, new information, but don't know that I'm ever actually going to listen to him if I, if I don't have an excuse forcing me to listen to him. And so, I, Jonathan Goldstein, have become that living, breathing excuse. Toby has come to me with the tapes in order to help him face his past and his feelings head on. What, what's the ideal version of what comes next? Like, part of me is like... Send you guys the tapes, you and you tell me what's on them and what's interesting and what's not. <laughs> you know, like almost outsourcing. Like, like create a curated. We've done a highlight reel. <laughs> yeah, here's how your life changed dramatically through no fault of your own. Here's the highlights. After the break, 
the highlights. Kalila Holtz. Yeah. I used to work at a at a radio show called This American Life. I know. It's the show that inspired me to follow this line of work. If you've never heard of This American Life, they're like, I think they describe themselves, if I'm not mistaken, as being like little movies for the radio. Yes, the best. It was my favorite show as a kid all the way to, it's still my favorite show. And and how many things can you think of that are like that, that have been going for 25 years and have just maintained the level of quality that This American Life has? Truly, like, I mean, even things that you end up loving, like, um, like, uh, I love Star Wars. I watched three episodes. That was plenty. <laughs> but This American Life, it just, in some ways, it gets better. Uh, it expands its universe and the things that it tries. We talk about it, like, every week, yeah. It's meaningful to us. Yeah. And um, I would say, if you love Heavyweight, you're going to love This American Life. Would you say that? I would say that. Should we say it in unison? Sure. If you like heavyweight. Heavyweight. Okay, you're, you're gonna, not saying it in unison. You're going to you know love. What? I don't know that saying things in unison really like sells something. <laughs> it's not like, no, 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 really, they said it in unison. It really imparted to me just how true this was. Yeah. Um, but it is true that This American Life continues to experiment every week with what radio storytelling can be. And it drops every Sunday night. Mm-hmm. So listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. I mentioned to my six-year-old, I was like, yeah, I'm talking to Jonathan Goldstein. And he said, who is that? Is that an old man you're talking to about another old man? That's, like, oh. He's basically <laughs> nailed heavyweight in a sentence. I've started to go through the cassettes, which amount to about 23 hours of audio. And while there are work calls, calls to the video store, a fair bit of Fleetwood Mac taped off the radio, a large portion of the tapes is exactly what the labels promised. Phone calls between Toby's parents. It seems that during the divorce proceedings, Doug had been meticulously recording his phone calls, possibly as a precaution in case of a custody battle. Toby has a busy schedule. He works a full-time job and is raising two kids. So he set aside an hour a week to go through the tapes, a little at a time. 
Our check-ins usually occur during breaks in Toby's workday. Oh, hey. Hello. Toby. Hello, can you hear me? Oh, hello. Hello. The labels on the tape span a couple of years, and we decide to go through in chronological order. The earliest tapes are from after Doug and Terry have separated, but before the official divorce. I press play, and for the first time in over a decade, Toby hears his parents' voices. Did you pay Joanne? I couldn't get hold of her. Uh-uh. You didn't pay her? No. Why not? In this recording, Terry wants to know why Doug hasn't paid their babysitter, Joanne. Well, I'm going to end up having to pay you all the back payments. Back payments? I'm for, not... On child support. I'm not asked for any back payments. I'm not vindictive. I'm not greedy. Just pay Joanne. I'm not going to ask for... Okay, well, I'll, I'll stop by there and pay her. Hmm. My dad's voice I recognize, but my mom's voice I... <sighs> If you did just played it and said, who is this? I would have, I, I didn't recognize her voice, which is wow. pretty incredible to me. And what Toby also finds pretty incredible is hearing his parents speak to one another and with so much civility. The only version of them that he remembers is two people with so much bad blood between them, they could hardly be in the same room together. Birthday parties were separate. And at his graduation, they avoided eye contact and didn't speak a word. But none of that acrimony is evident in these early tapes. So you want that stipulated in the papers that you would have them for a couple of months in the summertime? Yeah. In another recording from that time, Doug and Terry try to figure out how to split time with Toby and Heidi. What are you talking about? June, July, July, August? June and July. Well, Heidi's birthday's in July. We don't get to give her a birthday party together. We love our kids. We don't hate each other. Not only do they not hate each other, they're getting along exceptionally well. They're able to hash out their divorce agreement, just the two of them, without lawyers. They figure it all out at a Perkins restaurant one night. As Toby listens to his parents being so cordial, he feels a kind of dread, because he knows cordial is not how things will end. It's like listening to the beginning, he says, of a horror story. Hey, hello. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just doing some laundry. So how did things deteriorate so? How did they get so bad? With that question in mind, we forge ahead with the tapes. Yeah, so, okay, I'll I'll play you... uh... While Toby always knew his dad to be a pretty detached person, on the night the divorce becomes official, Doug seems genuinely lonely. The tapes capture him phoning a friend and getting a continuous busy signal. He calls back four more times until he can finally get through. What do you guys do? Sit around and talk on the phone all night? No, we you leave it off the hook so people like you won't call. <laughs> no, I hear you. What's going on, Doug? Oh, it's final. What's final? The divorce. Oh, it's it already? Yeah. How can it be done so quick? All I gotta do now is live with it. It's, uh, you know, it's still gonna take a lot of time to get oh, over it. Sure, sure. And one, one thing I learned, people are not supposed to get divorced. What do you mean? I was always taught that if something's broken, you should fix it. Oh, sure, because, you know, I remember my parents would have fights so bad. But, you know, the thought of divorce just never came up. So. Yeah, yeah, of course, you'll never know the whole story, just like Toby and Heidi will never know the whole story. It seems like he kind of intuitively knew that we would always have questions, and that thread continues to today. 
As we continue on beyond the divorce, Toby's wife, Lauren, joins him to listen to some of the tapes, like this one. Hi, Dad. This is a five-year-old Toby on the phone with Doug. Adult Toby, hearing his own voice, exchanges a smile with Lauren. Hi, Toby. Hey. Hi. Hey, I heard you got new cereal. Yeah, it's Pac-Man. Yucko. I'm not What are you trying to do? You trying to rot all your teeth out? Bye-bye. Hey, Toby. What? I love you. I'll see you tomorrow night, okay? I don't really remember that kind of relationship with him. Like what kind of relationship? Silly and playful and saying I love you when you hang up the phone. Like, I don't really remember that at all. The I love yous had existed. Toby had just forgotten them. The parents on the tapes are different from the parents Toby remembers in other ways, too. They had to bring along her Care Bear blanket, too. Not only are they working as a team, but Terry sounds clear-headed and on top of things. Uh, yeah, she brought along some blanket. It's a, like a bedspread type. Yes, that's the one. Well, it goes on her little bed. Toby knows who Robert is. That's who he's bowling the doubles with. And make sure he gets a 10 ball. Whenever Terry calls to talk to the kids at Doug's, young Toby runs to the phone. Mommy! Mommy! Toby! Love, beer. I suppose so. Okay, I'll just get through the phone. I got some right here. There. Oh, that was good. Win another can? Yeah, I'll take another can. I'm thirsty. And whenever they say goodbye, Terry, just like Doug, tells Toby how much she loves him. I'll talk to you later. Love you. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye-bye. I love you. Love you too. It's a little bit... It's a little bit sad knowing what happened in her life over the next 10 or 15 years. Like, my memories of my mom don't have any of that lightheartedness or happiness to him, I remember a lot more of the of the bad stuff. The bad stuff continued into Toby's young adulthood. Not long before she died, Toby saw his mother at a family Thanksgiving. Toby was in college and had just dyed his hair black. Terry was so out of it that she didn't recognize him. And she looked at me and said hi, and then like turned away and was like, where's Toby at? And it's like, well, I, I'm, I'm right here. I, I my my hair's a different color, but I'm still here. And that's a core memory, I think. And I think that was the last time I saw her. You know that story, Lauren? I didn't remember that story. I don't know. It's not a fun Friday night conversation. <laughs> I've noticed today as we've been talking about stuff, like you'll get choked up and then... You know, you've got to sort of diffuse it, like you smile afterwards. I'm thinking of like, what's a funny joke I could put in here now? (laughs) Knowing how Toby tends to brush over difficult feelings, the next clip I play him feels like one of those origin stories you'd see in a superhero film. Toby, stop. (laughs) Doug is on hold with Joanne, the babysitter. Okay, we'll get your jammies on then. 
Well, then shape up. Act a little happier. Act a little happier, okay? Hello. Act a little happier. The marching orders Toby would continue to obey all the way into his adulthood. But when Toby listens to the tape... (laughs) I think it's funny. All he can do is laugh it off. Shall we continue? Yeah. This is Toby's sister, Heidi, asking Doug if he can have dinner with her at her mother's house. No, I don't think... I don't think so. Why? Well... I don't go over there anymore. I want you to eat supper over here. Well, I don't eat supper over there. Why? Because your mom and I are divorced. Why did you? Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll understand it better when we're older. In spite of Toby's being older, in spite of cassette tapes unspooling lives, there are many questions Toby will never have the answers to. But then one day, while going through the tapes, I come across one answer to a big question. How things between Doug and Terry got so bad. It happened after the divorce on one particular evening in April of 1988. Suddenly, I can see the whole arc of the relationship's downfall. The recordings are heavy, and scheduling these tape listening sessions over Zoom during Toby's lunch breaks no longer feels appropriate. And so I have a new idea. I decide I'll travel to Portland, where Toby lives, so we can sit down together and over the course of a dedicated weekend, play these last tapes in person. Oh, gosh. Okay. After the break, Portland. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Hello. Toby, Lauren, and I meet in a hotel suite in downtown Portland. Hi. Hi, Lauren and Toby sit next to each other on the couch. We all don our headphones to listen. So we can start. that's If that's good with you guys. Yeah. And so we dive into that pivotal evening from 1988. For the first time, we hear Doug narrating directly into the recorder. It's because this is the moment when he knows he's not merely documenting as a precaution, but potentially preparing evidence. Uh, this is the day after. She left the kids in her house alone. Uh, that's when I called the police. It seems that Terry left Toby and Heidi at home all by themselves one night, and Doug called the police. Toby remembers that night. We were at Mom's house. Yeah. And she went... I don't know how long she was gone, but I, I was like five. I got scared, and I called my dad, and I didn't know he was going to call the police or whatever. So my mom 
came home at some point, and then, like, the police came by. Toby doesn't recall his dad talking to him about what happened, but it seems he did. Are you upset about last night? Mama. Yeah. See, I called the police because I don't think you guys should be left there alone. And I didn't know what else to do because I can't go in your mom's house. They said we might get taken away to go to your house. I don't think you will, because I don't think your mom will leave you alone anymore. And that's good, because, you know, when you're older, I think you guys need to be left alone. But not when you guys are this young. You know, you get... I'm sick. I know, I know. But you were scared, and I was scared for you. Terry, on the other hand, didn't think there was anything to be scared of. When she calls Doug sometime later to talk to the kids, Heidi brings up that night, and Terry explains it this way. Mom, how come when Heidi left that when nobody was there? Because I had to go check on my work and I was gone for 15 minutes. Haven't you ever been left alone before? No. You were asleep, you didn't even know it. And if Toby had been asleep, do you know what? I would not have left at all, but I thought Toby was old enough that he could sit here for 15 minutes by himself and watch the movie he was watching without freaking out. But obviously not. Pretty shitty to to put that on me, a six-year-old who got scared. So now that just caused a big, that caused a big, 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 big problem. You slept through the whole thing, Heidi. Toby knows all about it. And from now on, your dad better never leave you guys alone either. Never, ever. If he does, you call me. How come you didn't tell me? Because, honey, you were asleep for the night. What if the house caught on fire? The house wasn't going to catch on fire. We got about how many? We got two smoke alarms downstairs here, don't we? And besides that, the house wouldn't catch on fire unless they was playing with matches. Are you guys going to play with matches? What if the electricity caught on fire? We got all new wiring in this house. Because of what happened that night, Family Services paid a visit to Terry's house, but nothing came of it. Legally, that was that. Still, Terry felt betrayed by Doug. Here they are later that week, relitigating. Are you satisfied for full custody? Are you going to be all the way back from something or what? Well, I want you to straighten your act up is what I want. Well, half my act has been more than straight up. Well, you've made bad judgment. She didn't sound sober. I think my sister and I were there with her at that point. Like, she was taking care of us. What was Toby doing up at 11 o'clock on a school night? What was it at? Because we was visiting. Welcome. The other day you said you were going to kill yourself if I had custody of kids. I would never kill myself. I don't go to hell. You don't have religious What begins as anguish hardens into anger. A few weeks later, Terry phones Doug and accuses him of being out at a bar called Windy O'Leary's. 
Yeah, this is Terry. Where are you hanging out, Wendy O'Leary's? Should I call the cops on you? Uh, your children want to talk to you. I think that's a little bit of neglect. I didn't really call a bitch or anything, but what I do want to say is this. I don't like you standing on my front porch spying. I told you to park in front of the house, and that's exactly what I meant. And if you can't get an answer with the honk, then you just better start hollering in the door, Toby and Heidi, because as far as I can see it, it was spying to listen to what was going on in the house. So, yeah, I'm a little upset, and I've been upset, and I've been holding it in. And that's just the kind of mood I'm in, and that's just the kind of mood that I have been uh, holding within. So, um, why don't I just give a call to we know Larry's and see if he'll answer. Goodbye. So, this next clip is the last tape between them. It's a long one. Let's let's listen if you if you're ready. I think so. It's very important. I got hold of you. Now, is there a problem? I need to talk to you about the month of June. The month of June. This is where the argument begins. Doug has custody in June, but Terry has registered Toby for summer softball. Doug says the problem there is that he and the kids will be out of town for two weeks in June. So Terry says, well, great. If Toby's going to miss that much softball, he'll probably end up with some horrible position like right field, and his self-esteem will be shot to hell. You know that the kids come here in June, and you just scheduled it. The damn league scheduled it, Doug. Well, you didn't contact me, and okay, you knew he was going to be here. Okay, participate in any summer sports. Is that what you're saying? What's that? Toby can never participate in any summer sports his whole life till he's 18. No, I didn't say anything like that. I said I, I would like to know okay, about Okay, fine, Dad. Let's let the child be just an uh, invalid at home, be a vegetable all summer. What? Terry wants to change the custody agreement so she can take Toby to these softball games. But Doug says he's already booked the child care he'll need for the whole month. Child care? Yeah, Terry, now I... No, I'm not following No, you. wait a second. Let me talk, okay? Joanne and Caprice right. have scheduled their time around when they can watch my kids. Our kids. Uh, Caprice? Our kids. Okay, I'm sorry. So Terry turns it back on Doug. Okay, she says, if I can't see the kids in June, then you won't see them in July. Yes, I will see them. How? Maybe my month is still up. I can see him on weekends, my normal visitation. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll have to look that up because I do tend to look every little thing up. Are you going to look up about the school that you pull oh, them out don't of? don't worry about that. The school's getting paid off. In those early calls, Doug and Terry tended to resolve their disagreements in just a few minutes. But now, they go on fighting for over half an hour straight. Terry begins to leap from one unrelated grievance to the next. The other day, goddammit, Jonathan walked Toby home from kindergarten. Yeah, Caprice went too. Caprice did not take them home. Toby told me this. That's not true. Oh, no, Toby lied. You know Toby, he's not a liar. When I walked over home there also them. to talk to the kids Friday afternoon, Caprice kept saying, get off the phone, get off the phone, kids. Get off the phone, get off the phone. Because I always make a point of calling them on Friday and Saturday, which I don't see you making a point of calling the kids during the week. But uh, when I call, I don't appreciate the babysitter telling the kids to get off the phone. And I don't appreciate also you standing on my front porch hearing what's going on inside of my house. To me, that is spying and low down and dirty. You were standing with one foot on the porch and one foot on the sidewalk. And then, finally, Terry raises the thing that really underlies her rage. The night of the police. When two weeks ago when the cops were here, you couldn't even come up and check on your own son's welfare when you were supposedly so damn cons- 
concerned. So what's the difference? I mean, either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. That's kind of double standard. Because I don't think it would, would have been a good idea to uh, make a big scene. Oh, make a big scene. When your son's taken upstairs and talked to by the cops, you don't, four policemen, you don't consider that a big scene? Four cops, right. That's what Randy says. Four cops is a big scene. What I consider big was leaving the kids alone by okay, themselves. You don't know our lifestyle. You don't know our situation. And now, you wait a second. Lifestyle has nothing to do with it. You don't leave a four-year-old and a six-year-old in a house alone in the middle of the night, let alone in the middle and of the you know day. Cops ask them, has it ever happened before? No. And another thing that has me or still is that you did. Doug, was you sitting around actually, sitting around, actually, nobody can believe this, in your suit, tie, your jacket, your dress pants, your dress shoes, and all that at 11 o'clock at night? Yeah, I was, as a matter of fact. As you were, as a matter of fact. No, I didn't, I didn't have a tie on, no. You had a tie on when you was out here in front of my house. No, I didn't. I, I had a... Uh, well, how could we see it you were so far away? You went and came up here to check on Toby. I had a shirt on. I mean, do you talk so serious to the kids? Do you guys ever laugh? I know you do a lot of things with the kids. I know you guys go to the zoo, and I know you guys go boating. And I know the kids enjoy it, but I also know they're getting these spoiled little burger butts over a lot of things, too. They're getting expected a little bit too much out of life, I think. But is there any humor and laughter in their life, or is it all materialism and soberness? I don't know what's going on, but why is it the other day Toby didn't, for the first time, Toby didn't want to go to your house? And why did Toby draw a picture of the devil and say it was you? Heidi had a bad dream last night, and it was at your house. That's the dream was. What is going on? I am really concerned. Yeah, I don't know. The kids hold a lot of anger. I don't they know don't hold a lot of anger here. Everything's hunky-dory here. As a matter of fact, last two nights, the kids have woke up with bad dreams, and both nights has been dreams had something to do with the house. Well, they don't wake up with bad dreams over here. But they sleep dreams well. dreams from over there. They're not dreams here. You know, I'm thinking, is there perversion going on or what? Well, I think that's a pretty strong allegation. That I is don't a pretty strong that. allegation, but I wonder. Well, exactly. What are you trying to say? I had it happen to me. Is there a friend of yours that you are maybe think that's a good friend of yours who may not be a friend, good friend, as you think? Well, I think you're wrong. No, that's not, that's not impossible, Doug. It's not impossible. How can you comprehend leaving a four- and a six-year-old at home alone? For 15 minutes, and you know what? The DCFS worker died laughing. She said, Toby, do you know why I'm here? He says, yes, because I have no sense of time. Told Toby I'll be right back. I ran three blocks. I was right back. Well, you don't leave a four-year-old okay, and a six-year-old at home. Okay, do it either, because by God, the first time there won't be no cops involved, it'll be me and my family involved. Because nobody in my family can believe. They said right or wrong, they can't believe that you called in the outside. Your family thinks it's okay to leave kids alone. No, but they think you should have come over yourself. But no, you couldn't even come up on the front porch. Terry, the police, Terry, okay? the police did not want me to come up on the front porch. The police didn't want you to come talk to your own son? Did they say that? Terry. No, did they say that? They got the information they needed. They told me they thought it would be best if I left. Did you say, well, I would like to talk to my son? Did you take the police advice? 
Terry, I'm not going to argue no, with the police. No, I want to know. I want to know how much you care about Toby. You took the police advice over your own son's welfare. I personally, I don't know, maybe it's the maternal instinct. I would have said, well, can I at least see my son or talk to him? Okay. Um, but this you know, is kind of going. You took the police advice. When the police got thousands and thousands and thousands of calls to make, and Terry, you have only one son. My own concern for Toby is why why the police were at your house. You right. don't leave a four-year-old and a six-year-old. Why didn't you just track your suit, tie, shoes, and, and your jacket over here in the first place? And I did. You would have been here before they would have been here. I was. You was here before they was here? You know, that just goes to show me that your concern is not what your son is, but how it looks reflects on you. First time I ever, ever left the kids. They told that lady that. They told the policeman that. They told you that. I can't even begin to tell you my anger about this. Well, that's good, because uh, I'm not going to allow you to do that. You're not going to allow me kiss my ass. I don't... It ain't ever going to happen again. I don't regret calling the police when you, you left the kids alone. don't regret calling the police. Okay, fine. Anything ever happens, I call the police on you, then neither one of us have children. How do you like them apples? You want to call in outside organizations? That's... Cut off. Tape cuts off. It's not at the end of the cassette. The tape abruptly cuts off in a way that suggests Doug had pressed stop. For all of his rigor and scrupulousness in recording, it's like this moment was just too painful to document. In the end, Doug never needed the tape for evidence, as there was no court case. Terry agreed to allow him full custody without contest. When Toby was in the third grade, he and Heidi went to live with their dad for good. Toby sits in silence, taking in what he just heard. Lauren studies his face. The thing I just get pulled back to again and again is like, that's my person in the middle of it. It's really hard. I I wish there were like better words. I'm sorry. Toby's always been grateful to his dad for taking him out of a bad situation. But hearing this conversation, he says he suddenly understands the extent of what his dad was dealing with and why it might have been so important that Doug remain the stolid one. In the face of so much intensity, perhaps someone had to be. My mom was being awful. She's being pretty awful. Terry and Doug, they were happy. They were happy until she wasn't. This is Toby's aunt, Tracy, Terry's sister. I reached out to her to try to get more context for some of the things Terry says in the tapes. Specifically, Tracy was able to explain the abuse that Terry referenced. My parents' best friends that mom and dad ran around with all the time, it was that man, the husband. And uh, Terry never told because she absolutely loved the lady hmm. and loved going over there and hanging out with her. She just, just loved her. It wasn't until well into Terry's adulthood that the truth came out. She called her parents one night and told them what their friend had done to her all those years ago. Her parents didn't know what to do, so they did nothing. Terry's boyfriend at the time convinced her to phone the man's wife. They called together. And they told her, these people are still married. 
And I guess in a day or two, found out that uh, she had confronted the man and he committed suicide. Just a few days later, the husband died by suicide. Told her it was true. He committed suicide. Oh, my. Yeah. I think that was one of Terry's demons. I think that his mom lived with a lot of regrets. I think she died with a lot of regrets. I mean, it's sad. I look back and how sad it is that the kids didn't have her growing up. Anybody that's in addiction don't want to be in addiction. But addiction was always stronger than her. I believe with my whole heart if she could come back today and go, okay, let's do this over, it would have been an amazing mom. The argument about the police was the last tape between Toby's parents. But there are two other tapes, tapes that were not recorded surreptitiously. They were recorded explicitly for Toby. This is a birth Third on Friday, November 27th, 1981. This is a tape that Terry made recounting the story of Toby's birth directly to him. Debbie and I got a hold of you and text you. That was your dad was I was just so happy. Because this tape was found among Doug's things, because Terry sounds so young and optimistic, you can tell that this was recorded years before the divorce, back when things were different. Terry explains how she and Doug got into a spat. We are in a band. We had a flat argument. But then swore to never argue in front of Toby again. And I told him, I said, we cannot argue in front of Toby's because we don't like it. <laughs> and so then we made it. He's a proud daddy. He does love you, Toby. Very, very, very proud. All these years later, it's hard for Toby to picture his parents as people who were once in love, who could argue and then make up, who cared about him in tandem. In 2003, Terry died from complications due to addiction. The lasting image Toby has of his two parents, finally sharing the same room, took place at her funeral. Toby was surprised to see his dad seated at the back of the church. Doug left as soon as the service was over, and Toby could never figure out why his father had shown up at all. Maybe it was for the Terry he used to love. Maybe it was for their kids. Me and you now, kid. No messing around. Let's get this sleeper on you. Come on. The final tape I play for Toby is one of Toby himself as a baby with his parents. You got the hiccups? No, you got the hiccups. It's pretty tricky getting these clothes on you with you squirming all around. I know, I know. In another part of the tape, Terry sings to a baby Toby. Sweet Toby Jean, I'm so in love with you. Ah, and I need Toby Jean. We never part, so hello, Toby Jean. <laughs> Goodbye. I didn't want to put a kid through what I went through as a kid. Even back when he was just a kid himself, Toby remembers thinking... When I'm an adult, it won't be like this. When I have my own kids, I'm going to do things so much differently. And now he does have kids, a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. Something that has always been important to me is like stability. 
That's something I've intentionally built into my life. Yeah. Because I knew what it was like to be a kid and not have that. Hmm. And I think we've built a really good life for us and our family and our kids. Toby had told me a story from when he was a kid. He wanted to do BMX racing. And you should tell the story, honey. It's your story. Okay. About well, your dad calling. Yeah, so I wanted to do BMX racing really bad. I'd seen it on TV. I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. I want to do this. And so my dad called the one bike shop in our town and was like, is there any BMX around or whatever? And they're like, nope. And then I never got to do BMX. But um, our six-year-old really is into it. And so... Like, I've got him a, a BMX bike. Work. <laughs> Sorry. We're like, I'm going to a skate park all the time, and he's in mountain bike classes, and yeah, doing this stuff for him that, like, it's clear to me that my dad went the extra mile in the ways that he could. I want to do that for my kids. Toby doesn't get emotional very often. This is the most I've ever seen him emotional. Huh. And we've we've been through some life together. You're gonna sleep good tonight, buddy. <laughs> like, you know, this is th this type of emotional work. It's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, said Doug. We'll understand it better when we're older, which is something that people just say. But in this case, Doug inadvertently left something behind to make that understanding possible. And yet, to become the dad that he is, to give the things that he didn't get, Toby didn't need the tapes at all. Just really proud of you, Toby. Thank you. Because I know that you feel that way.
This episode of Heavyweight was produced by senior producer Kalila Holt and me, Jonathan Goldstein, along with Phoebe Flanagan. Our supervising producer is Stevie Lane. Production assistance by Mohini Midgauker. Editorial guidance from Emily Condon. Special thanks to Alex Bloomberg, Max Green, Blythe Terrell, and Jackie Cohen. Bobby Lord mixed the episode with original music by Christine Fellows, John K. Sampson, and he himself... Bobby Lord. Additional music credits can be found on our website, gimletmedia.com slash heavyweight. Our theme song is by The Weaker Thans, courtesy of Epitaph Records. Heavyweight is a Spotify original podcast. Follow us on Twitter at heavyweight, on Instagram at heavyweight podcast, or email us at heavyweight at gimletmedia.com. You can also follow our show on Spotify and tap the bell to receive notifications when new episodes drop. We'll be back next week with a new episode. 